Father, we thank you for a beautiful morning outside. We thank you for the way that you take the darkness and the ugliness inside of us and you turn it into beautiful things. I thank you that you redeem ashes for beauty. You take disappointment and failure and you redeem them and turn them into beautiful things that honor you and are good for your people. Lord, some of us, we have... We've strayed from you, we've wandered, we've rebelled, and we need to come to you in confession now. We need to ask your forgiveness. You to work in us and purify us once again and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Come to you now, we confess our sinfulness, our specific sins, and our need for you. We thank you, Lord, that you promise that as we come to you in confession, you are faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. Lord, for those who are struggling and uh, tired and discouraged, maybe especially with parenting stuff, Lord, as we look at this passage today, I pray that you would encourage them, you build them up and strengthen them. Lord, for those who are up against things in their marriages and families and work and school and others that just seem to be beating them down, I pray, Lord, that they would be built up by your word this morning. You'd help them to understand their place in those settings and how they can honor you as the highest authority in all of their relationships. We pray that you would work through your word this morning, Lord, that you would shape us more into your people. We want to be obedient children of yours, and yet much of us inside of us wants the opposite. And so work in our hearts, Lord, put in us a desire to be your obedient children. Jesus' name, amen. All right, we, last week we went through the, the final verse of the 10 verses that we're doing for our memory verse. We're going to put it up on the screen right now. This is really the last of the easy weeks. So next week, I'm going to see if anybody is brave enough to come up, stand in front of everybody else, and try to do all 10 verses. So if you're going to cram for the test, you, you got about six days and 23 and a half hours to get ready, okay? So let's read together verse 10 of Ephesians 2, then we'll take it off the screen and see if we can do it from memory. So we got it up there? Yep. All right. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. All right, Kim, let's take it off and see if we can do it. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Now, the key to understanding that verse is you've got to get the two verses before that. If you just take that verse, you think, yeah, man, I'm supposed to do good works, and maybe that'll earn me favor with God, and that is absolutely not what it's saying. The two verses before that tell us that it's by grace, through faith alone, that we're saved. And then after we're saved, we realize, oh, we are created and called to live a life of good works out of thankfulness and gratitude. So don't, don't forget about the two verses beforehand. All right, this morning we're going to be talking about parenting and about kids, and what I'd like to do is give you guys just a little bit of an icebreaker to get you warmed up. So I'd like you to turn to somebody near you, you can move around if you want, and just share something uh, that your parents taught you, something that you learned from your parents. Something valuable, something funny, something hard, something good. Just 
Share with somebody next to you for the next few seconds. <laughs> Scott is staring at the side of Hannah's face. <laughs> All right, pressure's on, Hannah. Something that you learned from your parents. Go. give you 10 more seconds. (laughs) All right. Thanks for participating in that. The passage we're looking at today is going to be in Ephesians 6. It's on page 979 in the Pew Bible, if you want to find that. We've been working through the book of Ephesians, and we are almost done. We've got two more weeks after this. So after that, we will be jumping back into the book of Acts. So if you're looking for something to read in your own Bible study time, I'd encourage you to read the book of Acts. If you want to pick up where we left off, you can start with chapter 13. If you're thinking, my memory's not so great, I might want to start at the beginning and just work through, that is a great plan also. Chapter 13, though, is where we'll be picking up in three weeks. The last couple weeks, we've been working through a mini-series within Ephesians that deals with family and household relationships. Today, we're dealing with parents and children. Last week, we dealt with the prickly passage that calls wives to submit to their husbands as to the Lord. We talked about Titus chapter 2, where it calls older women in the church to specifically mentor and train younger women in the qualities and the skills that God desires in his daughters. For some, that was a hard passage to work through, the two that we did, because sometimes what the Bible holds up as the plan and what the world holds up as the plan are different, and that causes real conflict in our souls. I think it comes down to a question of authority. We're going to see that a lot today. Question of authority. Who or what is the greatest authority in your life? For most Americans, we would have to say myself. I am the greatest authority in my life. I may reluctantly submit to various authorities because I have to, but if I had my way, I would just live as the sovereign of my own life. We come by that honestly because that message of self-rule and self-love is hammered into us daily from the culture. But God presents reality differently than that. God presents himself as the highest authority, creator, sustainer, ruler, judge of the universe. And in his wisdom and in his sovereign plan, he has created and delegated authority to people, groups, and institutions. We are always under somebody's authority. Even New King Charles III, President Joe Biden, they are under the authority of God, and they will be accountable to him and answer to him one day. The question is not, are you under authority, but how will you live under the authorities that God has placed over you? Will you buck against that authority? 
even if it's a godly and good authority that is working for your good? Will you seek to undermine that authority? Or will you see authority over us as the divinely appointed gift for our good that it is? Let's bring this to a very personal level. Let's talk about the family relationships of parents and kids. Parenting has been a challenge since just after the beginning of time. Adam and Eve faced incredible challenges with their kids. We know how badly it got when Cain killed Abel, but we don't know all the years of struggle leading up to that. But I am sure that you, as parents, maybe as grandparents, as you are dealing with young people, you are dealing with some of the very same dynamics and challenges that Adam and Eve dealt with. And yet, you deal with some things that they didn't have to deal with. The culture around us is training and discipling your kids and your grandkids away from God in a way that, honestly, Cain and Abel didn't have those influences. There are ways to rebel against parental authority and other authority today that would have been unspeakable just a few years ago, and yet now you can easily get a how-to video to learn how to do those rebellious things just by going to YouTube. We live in a strange time. Parents, how will you love and lead your children? Grandparents, how will you love and lead your grandchildren? As authorities over them, in a world that is bent on their corruption. Right after giving instructions to husbands and wives at the end of Ephesians 5, Paul goes on through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit to give instructions to parents and children at the beginning of Ephesians 6. We're going to read the passage right now. It's a whole four verses long. It's on page 979 in the Pew Bibles. We're going to read the whole passage, and then we're going to work through it a chunk at a time. So Ephesians 6, 1 through 4. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Parents, I know that we like those first three verses. It's great news, right? In fact, if you're sitting with a child of your own right now, you can turn to them and say, see, God tells you, you have to obey me. Then we can call it quits, say that's the end of the day, and uh, let's go home. Praise God for the Word of God, right? There is more to it than that. We're going to look at that. We see here that the Holy Spirit, writing through Paul, gives some reasons why children are to obey. The first reason, to quote it directly, is, for this is right. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Now, a couple, three, four decades ago, you could say something like that, and most people in America just wouldn't question it. This is right. But our society has become so relativistic that we have this idea that what's right for you may be wrong for me, what's true for you might be false for me, that the idea of a singular authority saying this thing is right is foreign to many people in our culture today. And yet notice how God talks about it. From the Bible's perspective, this idea of relativistic thinking is 
foreign. God has created the world and ordered it in such a way that some things are right, some things are wrong. Some things are true, some things are false. And it doesn't matter how you feel about it. And it doesn't matter what you think about it. God has declared some things right and some things true. And this is one of those things. Honor your father and mother. Obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. In our rebellious nature, we have tried to cast off what we think of as constraints of absolute statements like truth and right. We think, if, if I can just turn everything relative, what's true for me may not be true for you, then I will free myself. But what we see in society is it actually imprisons us. The anxiety in our young people today is off the charts. And I believe one of the reasons is, is because they are being told that nothing is absolute. And so their whole world is just this shaking, shifting sand. They don't know what they can count on because nothing is necessarily true or right. And that puts them in a prison and it heaps anxiety on them. They have to define a reality of their own rather than simply line up with the reality that God has created. It crushes people. But Jesus sees things differently. He says this in John 8, 31 through 32. He says, Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. We think in our fallenness that if we can liberate ourselves from true false statements, right wrong statements, that we will be free. Jesus says, no, the opposite is true. You will know the truth and the truth will set you free. And how do you know the truth? According to these verses, you abide, so it means like to live in, to dwell in, to, to hang out in Jesus' word. So we extrapolate that out. The word of God, the Bible, we dwell, we abide in the word of God, and that is how we know the truth, and that truth sets us free. So let's go, let's go back. That's, that's one reason that Paul gives. He says, it's right. The other reason, he quotes from the Ten Commandments. So he goes back at least 1,600 years to Moses, and he says, remember that fifth commandment? It's the first one with a promise. And then he explains what it is. So, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. Honoring and obeying are related, but two different things. This is the first commandment with a promise. Then he says, here's what the promise is. That it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. For years, I have assumed that that kind of a promise is like this general for the people of Israel thing. You know, every once in a while I make a big deal about the idea of the yous that you see are actually y'alls. And I assume that about this. And then I went and looked at the original language this week, and it's actually singular. And that makes that harder for me to kind of swallow and process this, right? Because God's saying to his people as individuals, honor your father and mother, that you, singular, not just y'all, but you, singular, may live long in the land, that your life may be good 
and long. And the reason I am uncomfortable with that is because, like you, I know people who are generally good, maybe great at obeying their father and mother, and yet they didn't live long lives. And it's like, well, is the promise of God failing there? What's going on? If it's specific for us, see, I'd rather soften it and make it into a you-all, a general principle. But God seems to be laying out, like, he says, this is the way that I've designed the world to work. Obey your mother and father. Honor your mother and father, that you may live long in the land. The land that he's giving them, the promised land. How could obedience and honor of parents result in longer life? Well, God has designed it so that young people need wisdom from their parents. If you are young or younger or youngish, you need wisdom from your parents. And when you embrace that wisdom, learn from them, you increase your chances of living a good, long, healthy, productive, happy, God-pleasing life. That is so natural, we may not even have to say it, but sometimes it's a good reminder. But what if your parents are foolish? Or what if your parents, they're, they're not born again in Christ, and they don't value the things of God, and maybe they even encourage you in sin and tempt you in sin? One of the things that's been so shocking to me in this particular community is how accepted it is for parents to purchase alcohol for their children to consume. I'm going to make it easy for you, my child, who am I love, to sin in this way. It's very widespread. What do you do if the authority over you is encouraging, enabling, tempting you to sin? What do you do? Well, it goes back to that idea of ranked authority, which we talked about last week and the week before. God is that highest authority, and he's put certain authorities over us. And when a higher authority says one thing and a lower authority disagrees, you go with the higher authority. Hopefully, you don't have parents or grandparents that are encouraging you in your sin. But if you do, go with God as the highest authority. You still honor them even if you can't obey them in that particular thing. All right, let's turn our attention from kids now to parents. Verse 4. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Now, we can apply this to both moms and dads, absolutely, but it is significant that Paul addresses the dads in this. Dads, remember, you have been tasked with the job of leading and loving your family. You've been given the high authority and the responsibility that goes with it of being what the Bible refers to as the head of the family. This means you set the tone, you determine the direction, and you are accountable for your family. That's why Paul can single out fathers here. What is the command? Well, it's two parts. There's a negative and there's a positive. There's a put off and there's a put on. He commands fathers, and we could also apply this to mothers, but he's directly a father's, do not provoke your children to anger. I mean, of all the things he could have said to the dads at that point, why that one? Do not provoke your children to anger. That doesn't mean you never do something that angers your children. 
Right? Sometimes you've got to make your kids angry because like, you've got to discipline your kids. You've got to take something away from your kids, and it's going to make them angry, and they just have to deal with that. Right? So Paul's not saying never make your kids angry. He's talking about something else. Don't provoke. Don't egg them on. Don't take delight or get your power fix by making your kids angry. Excuse me. This is talking about doing things on purpose for making your children angry. And you might think, what kind of a sick, twisted person would do things on purpose to make their children angry? Most of us in this room have probably done it at one point. Hopefully we've recognized it and we've repented of it and we've gone to our kids and we've confessed our sin to our kids. Parents and grandparents, you need to do that. When you sin against your kids, you need to confess it to them. Ask their forgiveness. But there are some people, I, I knew a guy who took great delight in making his kids mad. He would do things in order to get them all worked up and angry, and he just kind of sit back and laugh and think, this is so much fun. I, I just, I love getting my kids all full of rage, and it shows a dark and evil heart. Paul here focuses on the fathers, and he knows that some of you have a dad that had delighted in hurting you, making you angry, maybe knocking you down a peg. Boys who are bullies can easily grow up to become fathers who belittle their children, mock their children, use and abuse their children, and plant deep down in them seeds of anger and rage that will take over their hearts if not checked. You may not even have a relationship with your father right now because of the harm that he has done to you or your mom or your siblings. And even just talking about this right now, you might feel that anger welling up inside of you. Sometimes the anger comes in a very different way, though. It comes from a lack of leadership and a lack of consistency. Just as you are designed and called by God to be the head, the leader, and the lover of your family, and the setter of the tone, and to be accountable for your family, if you do not lead in love, it will result in your children becoming angry. Because they need you leading in that way. Or if you lead inconsistently. You're really worked up about this one day, and then you're worked up about something else the next day, and your, your kids are like, I have no idea what really matters. What is dad going to be upset about this time? Inconsistency, a failure to lead in a steady way, will make angry kids, will provoke them to anger. Dads, we must be strong with our children. Sometimes we have to be a little scary and stern. We've got to do it. But we need to be gentle and kind, too. Your children should know that you love and adore them. Their hearts should be so full of love that even if they've really messed up and they're like getting the worst discipline of their life, they've just been grounded for the next 42 years, whatever it is, they know without question that you love them because you've been pouring into them, investing in them, 
so consistently for so long. Why does Paul single out the dads here? I think there's two reasons. First, moms, you are more naturally, in general, nurturing, encouraging, cheering them on, tending to the stubbed toe and the skinned knee with compassion. That's, that's not everybody, but there's a reason the stereotype holds. So he, Paul knows that the guys need this message in general more than the ladies do. But he also singles out the dads because the dads represent God in a way that's different than the moms do. God chose to identify himself to the nation of Israel and then very clearly in the New Testament to all of us born again in Christ as Father. Think about the disciples come to Jesus and they say, Jesus, we've noticed that you are an excellent prayer and we kind of stink at it. Would you please teach us to pray? And what does he say? He says, pray like this. Our Father. Address God as Father. And then if you flip that around, what that means is, fathers, you are, by nature of your title and your position, you are representing God in some kind of unique way that somebody without the title Father just doesn't get to do. This is central to the Christian idea of who God is and how God has created the family to work. So when you read that you are not to provoke anger in your child, not to poison their heart with anger, it's because God wants their hearts to be tender towards you and tender towards Him. And you have the ability to turn their hearts cold towards you and even towards Him. That's a heavy weight. So that's the negative part of it. That's the put off. Do not provoke your children to anger. What's the positive side, the put on? It's to bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. So we could put a chart on the screen that looks like this just to simplify it for us. So we've got the put off side, don't provoke them to anger. We've got the put on side, instead bring them up, raise them up in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord. Dads, you are called to be the primary discipler of your children. Yep, we want the church to partner with you. Like right now, Kelly's teaching kids downstairs. Some kids are in here listening. We want the church to help with the discipleship of your children. But parents, and in a unique sense, dads, you are called to be the primary discipler of your kids. As terrifying as this thought might be, you can think of yourself as pastor dad. You're the shepherd of your kids' souls. Let's look at these specific words. Discipline. When we were to bring up our children in the discipline of the Lord, what does that mean? Is that talking about spanking? Is that talking about grounding? No. <clears throat> the word there for discipline is not the idea of any kind of punishment. The word is pedeia. Spelled a little differently, but the first three letters give us the sound of ped, like as in pediatrician, pedagogy, the teaching of children. It's that Greek prefix for a kid. Pedeia is the general raising up, teaching the child everything he or she needs to know. It's, it's like schooling type instruction, but it's also 
how do you fix the car? How do you change the oil? How do you, how do you serve someone who is in need? How do you defend your sister on the playground? It's, it's all of these things that a young person needs to know to grow into a healthy, strong, godly, responsible adult. That's the idea of this discipline, this overarching idea. It definitely includes like Bible study and prayer and instruction. It absolutely does not include less than that if it's going to be a Christian padea. We see this responsibility throughout the Bible. All the way back in Deuteronomy 6, God is giving instructions to the people of Israel. They're about to go into the promised land. He's telling them how you can structure your new society in such a way that you'll raise up your kids so that the nation thrives. Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 9. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. And so it's all personal at this point. Here's how you're going to love God. Get it deep into your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit down in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand. They shall be as frontlets between your eyes, little dangly things. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. So for the ancient Jewish nation, God is saying, your responsibility is to raise up your children in the way of God, to teach them to love God, that their core identity is a child of God who loves God as their father. And you're just going to do that by talking about God and his ways all the time. When you're walking along, when you're going to bed, when you're sitting around the table. He says, all areas of life are opportunities for you to train your child. He says, even to the point of how you adorn your body and what you write on the walls of your house, that all goes into the discipline, the training of your kids. About 500 years after that, the writer of Proverbs 22 would say this, and this is just an incredibly popular verse, but let's think about it. Train up a child in the way that he should go. Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. Now notice, as it talks about training up a child in the way, the way there is singular. This is talking about the way of God, living life in the way of God. There is a way of God and then there's a whole bunch of other ways that are not the way of God. The world is constantly trying to disciple your kids and grandkids into those other ways that are not the way of God. And you, as a parent, grandparent, have the high calling of trying to shepherd your child into the way of God. The idea of training up, coaching, encouraging is not simply an instruction it's training. If maybe you did an apprenticeship as a young person, you learned on the job and you were corrected and taught and you made mistakes and then you had to fix them. And the, it's the idea of training your children. So how would you train your children? If you're going to take this responsibility seriously, how would you train them? Let's go back to verse 4 of 
Ephesians 6. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord. What's the instruction? We talked about what the word for discipline there is, padeia. The instruction word is the Greek word nuthesia. It goes beyond the idea of teaching. It's the idea of helping someone think in a whole new way. And it has a very urgent moral aspect to it. It's the idea of preparing someone for battle, for struggle, for conflict, and danger. How long do you have with your kids before you send them out without your protection, without your help? Are you instructing them, training them, so that they are ready to stand on the Word of God even if you're hundreds of miles away. That's the idea here of instruction, nuthesia. So what do we need to train them in? How would we go about looking for a curriculum? Where do we start? I want to take you to a passage that we go to a lot, but we need to be reminded of it so many times. 2 Timothy Timothy, 3, 16 and 17. All Scripture is breathed out by God, and is profitable, means it's good for, it works, it does its job, it's profitable for teaching, okay, instruction, that's good, for reproof, that's kind of the stronger correction, and then for correction would be like the gentler kind of correction, and for training, that's that idea of building up training long-term, hands-on, in righteousness, that is right living, the way of God that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. If you want your child to grow into a man or woman of God who is completely equipped to do the good works that our memory verse this morning tells us God has prepared beforehand that we should walk in them, the way that that happens is through the inspired word of God. Paul tells us clearly that it is capable of doing this. It's profitable for it. It works. And also that it is sufficient. That it is the thing that we need. That doesn't mean you don't teach your kids how to fold the laundry or mow the yard or anything like that. But when it comes to the, the most important things in life, the Bible is what you need. And if you use other resources, they should be pointing you back to the Word of God. And he said, well, that's nice. I mean, Paul's writing to Timothy. But what does this actually have to do with parenting or childhood? Well, if we jump back a few verses to 2 Timothy 3.10, and we read the whole thing, we see that it actually has a lot to do with children and parenting. So 2 Timothy 3.10. You, however, he's talking to Timothy after he's just kind of warned him about not being anything like the foolish world. He says, You, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, and at Lystra, which persecutions I endured. Yet from them all the Lord rescued me. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evil people and impostors will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. 
So notice he says, you, Timothy, you followed my example and all these good things you learned from me and you were even willing to follow my example by entering into the persecution that I received. Paul's going to explain more how there's this parent-child relationship between these two guys that are not physically related. 14, but as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, referring to the scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. So Timothy was raised in a home, we know from other places, that his mother and his grandmother were godly women who trained Timothy in the way of God. We don't know anything about Timothy's dad, but we know that Paul has inserted himself as a father for Timothy. They're not related, but he has taken this young man under his wing and he has discipled him and grown him and sent him out now as a elder overseeing multiple churches. He's filled that father role, but his mom and his grandma taught him from an early age the way of God, and they did it, according to verse 15 here, with the Scriptures. Verse 16, all Scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Parents, your children need to be trained and equipped in and through the Word of God. I know that that is an overwhelming thing to think about, probably. Maybe they're really young, and you're like, I don't even know where to start with that. Or maybe they're older, and you think, I missed my opportunity with them. What would you do if you could start over fresh today? If you could say to your kids, look, I know I've been training you in, in these directions, but I want to make sure that I train you in the Word of God, in the way of God today. You probably have invested a lot in your kids in other kinds of training. Maybe you've spent hours with them in batting practice or night after night helping them with geometry or algebra or whatever it is they're struggling with. Maybe you invested great sums of money in travel leagues or special artistic camps and groups in the hopes that they'll, they'll grow and flower and maybe even get a scholarship out of that stuff. What would it look like for you to take a new conviction, a new determination to train your kids in the way with the Word of God? They need that far more than they need anything else. And you don't have much time. So how will you start? What could you do even today? One thing you could do is you could join us for lunch and Bible study after church. Even if you didn't bring something to eat, I bet there's going to be enough for us. I know Jen has prepared roughly 8 million chicken legs, and uh, they're really good. And so you guys can come eat some of those. Have lunch with us. We'll do a short Bible study, which will focus on this idea of parenting, training our kids. You could commit to praying with your kids each day. Maybe it's praying with them as they head off to school in the morning. Maybe it's praying with them as they go to bed at night. However, that works in your family, praying with them and for them. You could commit to a time of family worship where you're 
around the table together and you read a short passage and you discuss it and ask questions and you pray for each other and then go on with your day. One of the things I really appreciated about the Bible conference that we went to yesterday at Gospel Baptist was he presented practical things that you can do as a parent or grandparent to help train your child. And one of the things, which I've mentioned to you guys a few times, he mentioned, and I was just like, yes, that's so good. What kind of music is going in the ears of your kids? Are you taking the opportunity while you're driving, while you're at home, whatever, to fill your kids with God-honoring music? Music disciples like crazy. All music does. Are you doing it with music that will honor God? If you're looking for a resource, especially for younger kids, I would encourage you to check out Seeds Family Worship. You can just go to YouTube, type in Seeds Family Worship. They have hundreds of songs that are all straight from Scripture, meant to help you memorize short passages at a time. They're mostly for elementary age kids, but man, even our older girls, they just love to sing along. Jen's got one of their songs as a ringtone on her phone. The point is this, parents, especially dads, you are called to bring up your children, okay? not just stand off to the side and say, children, bring up yourself, raise yourself up, get your act together, no, to bring up your children in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord. Those are the clear words of challenge through the Apostle Paul by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit in Ephesians 6.4. How do you plan on doing that? It would be easiest just to ignore it and say, man, I wish I had gone golfing today instead of hear this. But it is far better to say, okay, maybe I've been doing okay in this, but I'm a little weak in this, and I need to come up with a new plan. I've got only so many years, only so many months and days with my kids, how will I bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord? Let's pray. Father, thanks for, uh, thanks for noises from little ones and uh, the way that you delight in the children that you've created and the children that come from those children. Lord, thank you for these words of life from your word this morning. Thank you that they are clear, they're unmistakable. We know that we're to not do these things, and instead we are to do these things. And so we're left, Lord, with a choice. Will we submit to your authority in this? So Lord, I pray that you would be overcoming the things that are in our hearts and our minds, our habits, our, our ways of spending time, structuring our day, all, all the things that would come against us starting a new season of intentional discipleship for our kids. Pray that you'd be overcoming those things, that you would be encouraging us, helping us rise to the occasion. We know that we are your children, that we can come to you as our loving Heavenly Father. We know that we also get to represent you to our children. So I pray that you would use us, parents, grandparents, use us, Lord, to disciple, to love, to train, to raise up our kids, that they may know and walk in your ways. In Jesus' name, amen.